Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. You know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Welcome to episode 276 of the Bobbycast. I will be talking with Dina Carter, who you know from Strawberry Wine. Did I shave my legs for this? Uh, We danced, then we danced. Just so many, but that song is 25 years old, uh, Strawberry Wine, which was one of the biggest songs of my young life. Mm -hmm. Eddie's here. Oh, yeah, I'm here. What's up? But really, this song was generational. And that everybody knew it, and it was a a woman singing a song about women, but guys sang it too and weren't embarrassed to sing it. Yeah, which, like we'll even sing this today. Which it which was weird for a twelve year old boy. <laughs> maybe maybe he was older than that. Fifteen, no, I guess. Uh, we were in high school. Yeah, fourteen or fifteen year old. So, yeah. So to be able to sing this song loud and be proud. Yeah. You don't want to sing girl songs. It's okay. So we'll talk to her coming up in a little bit. Uh, the new music top five this week, Loretta Lynn released Coal Miner's Daughter to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the release of her signature song, but it's a new it's a recitation. Here is the new version. Well, I was born to Coal Miner's Daughter in a cabin on a hill in Butcher Holler. We were poor, but we had love. That's the one thing that my daddy made sure of. Sounds more like a poem. Does she sing it all? It's still pretty cool. It's all spoken, yeah. My daddy, he worked all night in the Van Leer coal mines, all day long in the field of horn corn. Number four, Amanda Shires released a cover of the Genesis classic, That's All. The lyric video is an animated take on 2020, the year, featuring murder hornets, burning cities, protest signs, and closed concert venues. Here's a clip of That's All. That is a jam from Genesis. <laughs> yeah, and that's a jam right now. I yeah. like this version. Did you know what that song was when I said that's all? Nah. I don't know Got about the title. My toes. Yeah, turn it up. Let's do it. 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 Let
That's jam, huh? Yeah, so good. Uh, Aaron Watson has a new album called American Soul. Here is his song, Whispered My Name, that's been out. Cause when you whisper my name, you find that engine up, feel that for all And here's a new song called Boots. Like a record spinning around and I can't keep my boots on the ground. When I Barry Gibb has a new album called Greenfield's The Gibb Brothers Songbook Volume 1. Now, Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees. Yeah. He has a new song called Words with Dolly Parton. Here's that. Talk in everlasting words and dedicate them all to me. Have you seen the Bee Gees documentary? No. It's on HBO Max. And really I, good? I, well, I've, I've almost started it a few times, but either something's come up or Caitlin's been like, nah, let's not watch that. She has no interest in the Bee Gees. Sure. It was before me as well, but yeah. well, I think we're just music nerds. I, I think I'm going to watch it this week. Um, I'm, I think Barry, Gibb, and Dolly are coming on the show. No way. Next week, I think. That's, that'd be awesome. I, I don't think in person because they're both older. Oh, corona, right, right. So I think yeah, we'll I talk to them. I, what I like about this sound, what you just played right there, it's, I mean, it, it's just what they used to sound like. Like, they didn't say, you know what, guys, it's 2021. Let's uh, try to make it sound new. <laughs> I like go. it when he sings like this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just keep it the way we had it back in the 70s. Maybe you will run away and maybe you will summon them. Staying alive. Staying alive. I like it when he sings that. Uh, and number one, Morgan Wallen has a new album called Dangerous. Here is the title track, Dangerous. You should know it's a double album, so it's like 30 songs. Here's another new one called Warning. That one slaps a little bit. Boom, 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 boom. Man, I go to Sonic and turn that up. People be like, like damn. <laughs> Who's that? Wow. <laughs> pretty dark, and that's that's a slightly different sound. Yeah. Albums out today. Sammy Hagar and the Circle, Lockdown 2020. Passenger, Songs for the Drunk and Brokenhearted, which I like Passenger. Blue Oyster Cult, uh, Live 83, a reissue, but it's a live wow. record. Uh, a song we missed on vacation that I've heard 10 million times in my house. When Caitlin's cooking, she plays music. Justin Bieber released a new song called Anyone on New Year's Day. Here you go. Why is he so good? He's, he is good. And I was at the vending machine yesterday, and I was talking about how good Justin Bieber was. People were like, what are you talking about? You're an adult. I, hey, listen, I'm an adult that doesn't care what people think about my musical opinions anymore, you know? This was your vending machine um, conversation? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't know how it was. Were you with me? <laughs> with no, who? Whoever with, you had a vending machine. With a random person? At work. Oh. I was huh. at a vending machine, and I was like, I have no shame <laughs> in loving Justin. Somebody had questioned me about it because I said, Harry Styles and Justin Bieber. You know, it wasn't the vending machine. I was the jukebox in my house. Oh, way different. Okay, I just knew I was way at some sort different. of machine okay. looking at the. <laughs> we have a jukebox in my house, and it hasn't been. We don't have music put in it yet. It's a really cool old jukebox. But as of today, it works. Do you again. need records? Well, they're the small records. Yeah, I have small records. And 45? a friend, a friend yeah. to me said, "Hey, what would you put in there if you could? If one side was Caitlyn, one side was yours. Love it." And I said, "I would do John Mayer." And like a 90s country 
assortment. Mm. And I said, Caitlin would do Justin Bieber and Harry Styles. And I said, you know what? I'd probably play on that side a lot too. Yeah. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, they're both freaking great. I know they were kid pop stars, but they've matured in their music. Yeah, for sure. Harry Styles is amazing. He's really His music's good. amazing. Uh, Parker McCollum released a song called To Be Loved By You. Here you go. In music news, the Grammys have been rescheduled from January 31st to March 14th, uh, COVID. And, you know, some award shows were happening, but because COVID has gotten so bad, especially in L.A., L.A. County, they've shut down all production. Mm. You can't shoot anything there right now. So the Grammys have been rescheduled. Quote, after thoughtful conversation with health, health experts, our network partner, CBS, our host and artist scheduled to appear. We've made the decision to postpone. So Trevor Noah is still going to host. You know, there was some controversy about Blake Shelton's latest single, Minimum Wage. Okay. It's dumb. It's a dumb controversy, a bit contrived. Um, Ronnie Dunn was speaking out. They're like, Ronnie Dunn's the only one to speak out. I was like, I spoke out to millions of people on my radio show. You did? I was there. Maybe people are just used to me saying dumb stuff. <laughs> they just expect <laughs> it from you. It's like, we don't even pay attention to that. Um, so there's that. Ricky Skaggs had quadruple bypass surgery last summer, but kept it quiet until now. Wow. He tells people that he was experiencing tightness in his chest and shortness of breath, but he did not have a heart attack. An angiogram convinced him to have surgery, and he feels 150 cent better because of it. You know Ricky pretty well. Do you know this? Uh-uh. And I've talked to him. Mm. Corona has hurt my sense of time. I feel like I've talked to him oh, a Oh, you bunch. don't know how to place the time to when you talk to someone? But maybe I haven't talked to him since COVID. Well, the last time I saw you talk to him was at the Opry backstage. I think he was playing and we were playing. So that must have been, oof, what, June? No, wait, I mean, February, Before, probably. So I, that's probably the last time I talked to him then. But yeah, I love him. He oddly loves me, which is crazy. Yeah. So I mean, he talks to you like you guys are best buds. I didn't know that that had happened. No, but I don't know that would have come up because we're not close like that. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, man, how are you? Well, I'm glad you asked. I just had hard work. <laughs> <words. laughs> I don't know, but you just know all sorts of weird random stuff. Raven McIntyre's son got engaged. She's about to be the uh, mother of the groom. The singer's son, Shelby. The singer's son, Shel Shelby's a guy. Yeah. I saw this Instagram post where the girl, who's Marissa Branch, people have posted it, and she went and commented. She was like, hey, I'm not the one that just got divorced for Kelly Clarkson. This is not the same. Okay, that's that not the guy. same guy. Yeah, she's like, got so it. you guys get off. It's pretty funny. That was my question. I thought that yeah. was the same dude. It's pretty funny. Shelby announced the news with a picture of him popping the question at Epcot at Disney World. Parker McCollum set for a Grand Ole Opry debut, which is pretty cool. February 6th, I will be there. Kid Rock donates 100000 bucks to Small Business COVID Relief Fund. He's doing his part with small businesses. So $100,000 there, which is great. Lil Nas X has released a children's book. Hmm. And Tim Tebow's putting out a book next week. We're talking to him on the show. Yep. Um, and then someone made a list of the 101 most anticipated albums of 2021. So here you go. At number 101. <laughs> 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 I'll read you some of them. Drake, Foo Fighters, Lil Nas X, Chili Peppers, Queens of the Stone Age, My Morning Jacket. Ooh, I like them. Adele, Billie Eilish, Casey Musgraves, Kendrick Lamar, Lord. You know, it's cool that Foo Fighters still make the list of cool. Yeah. Because they're, Dave Grohl's got to be 50. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I maybe, mean, he's. Maybe 54. And you're talking about a dad with kids that are probably getting ready to go to college. How old is he? 51. Okay, and how about Anthony Kiedis and Red Hot Chili Peppers? Because Doing it. They have a new record, and it's listed as a top five. I mean, they're from our childhood. <laughs> yes. But the rock world, there's not a lot there. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of bands, but that, that format doesn't really put out superstars right now, the yeah. occasional. He's 58. 
Anthony Kiedis he's is 58 crazy. years old. And he's wow. so ripped and it looks good. I don't know if he still is. Or oh, he's got to be. Or if it's like an Aaron Tippin thing where he always just is, <laughs> even if he's not. <laughs> Aaron Tippin's so ripped. Uh, Did you guys ever see that video of, uh, of uh, the Chili Peppers playing somebody's kid's elementary school? Is it old, old? I'm, no, no, no. This happened like maybe four, three, three or four years ago. Uh-uh. I think it was Chad Smith, the drummer. His kid, the principal asked like, hey, would the band come play or whatever? <laughs> the, the auditorium. And they, I mean, it was a Chili Peppers set. Like they, At the kids' school? I mean, Anthony Kiedis was jumping up and down and rocking his head, and Chad Smith was just going crazy in the drums. Flea was doing his thing. They did not hold back, and all these kids are just like, okay. I don't see. I don't know what this is. But that okay. would be like us as kids, and Ario Speedwagon shows up, <laughs> and we don't really know, because we're too young to even like that music. We know our parents liked yeah. it, and we're like, Huh. I just feel like if someone's going to play a school like that, they would be like, all right, children. Not them. They're like, tink, tink, tink. Let's go. <laughs> I got to Google that. Uh, coming up, we'll talk to Dina Carter. We're going to hit this real quick on the other side of this. Songs meant for other artists, which is the music topic we'll talk about here. Songs that were made for other artists and didn't. And then somebody else cut it and became a big hit. So we'll talk about that coming up. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about the incredible work that's being done by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and to ask you today to join me in becoming a partner in hope. When you make a donation to St. Jude, you're helping an organization that has helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. And I can tell you from personal experience, that number and the hope that it brings is invaluable. 
families do not have to worry about a thing. Treatment is covered, travel, housing, food. And when you're a family that's going through this, like imagine you're a parent, your kid gets cancer. You need to focus on that child. You don't need to be worrying about other things. And financial stuff can get really stressful. St. Jude covers it. Your support means families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment. And when you sign up for just $19 a month, you're going to get the new This Shirt Saves Lives tee. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope and text Bobby to 785-833. That's B-O-B-B-Y to 785-833. I want to talk about country hits that were meant for other artists. Now, I saw this article on The Boot. Pretty fascinating article. Some of these I've heard of, and I've even talked to some of these artists about it, but some of these blew my mind, too. Because Sometimes there's an artist or a manager who says, this is probably not for you. Mm. And then they don't cut it. And maybe it wasn't for them. Maybe yeah. it wouldn't have been a big smash for that artist. And then someone else gets it, and it goes on to be a big success. So it's just hard to imagine some of these songs that are so defined by the person singing them yep. being as memorable with it but but i'm sure some of them would have been right so let's talk about the stories behind some of these songs and then would it have worked with the other artist i mean this is almost the same argument as uh, an actor that turned down yeah, a role good. yeah and then we saw the movie and we're like no way tom hanks couldn't play tom cruise in that movie but he could here you go up first johnny cash take me home country roads Ooh. all right well this song was originally intended for Johnny Cash. The song's co-writers, Bill Danoff and Taffy Nivert, intended to sell it to Cash. But when John Denver heard it, he was like, I gotta have this song. They all worked together to rework the lyrics, and it eventually became Denver's signature song. Let's try it. Take I mean, it sounds weird, but I'm sure you would have made it work. I'm. This song, though, makes... With Johnny, again, this is all speculative, so I'm not right. There's no way, there's no right or wrong here. So I'm going to say something pretty dumb. I don't think it would have worked for Johnny Cash. Really? Because I don't think this song is a, it would have worked fine. But I'm saying I don't think it would have been as big of a hit because he had so many hits. Yeah. That I think it would have just fallen into the context of Johnny Cash yeah. because there was nothing that screamed Johnny Cash in this song except just another good song. Right. John Denver, this song, he made it about him. Mm-hmm. So... I think it worked for John Denver because it was John representing a lot of people singing about his life where with Johnny, he sings a lot about that. I just don't think it would have been the same. Good point. It would. You're just saying it probably wouldn't have been as big as it was for John Denver for Johnny Cash. It wouldn't I get have, that. have been as impactful on Johnny as it was for John Denver right. because Johnny had a ton of hits. But it still would have been a jam. Uh, take me home. Take me home. June, you take this last <laughs> <laughs> So Diamond Rio had this song, Unbelievable. This song was meant for George Jones. I I hear it, right? The deep. Don't you hear? Um, what's the the car one? He's like Ern, uh, the George Jones car one. What's it called? Is it? That's not Hot Rod Lincoln. I'm drawing a blank, but I don't know. It's, it it kind of sounds like this. Yeah, I don't know. You don't know what I'm talking about? I hear. It. <laughs> no, this that, is, I can totally hear George Jones doing this. No, that's an an odd one. Uh, okay, here we go. Did you find the song? Like, are you talking about? No. Yeah, I don't. Know. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, Dirks Bentley has four. One, he was gonna get whiskey lullaby. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that'd be good. This is one of my favorite country songs of all time. Drink a beer. Which is Luke with Chris yeah. Stapleton. Watching airplanes. And I drive your truck, Lee Bryce. Now, think about this for a second. Does Dirk, and love Dirk's, he's a friend. Yeah. Bunch of, bunch of hits. Does he have a song that's as big, like, as as the, any of those four? That's as long-lasting and saying, Riser? Ryan. What was I thinking? Yeah, I would have I gone. Um, I don't know that he does. I'm just throwing out the big hits here. Because Whiskey Lullaby is a massive 25-year song. Yeah. I Drive Your Truck won the CMA for Song of the Year. Maybe he, maybe he is up there with watching airplanes and drink a beer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I even, he's such a deep, all his songs are deep. You know, I was listening to one on the way here. Like, it, it's just, it's not your regular country song where it's like, you know, just to tell, I'm telling you a story. It's always like, I saw a tree and it reminded me of this. Like, you know, it was always like a little one level deeper. And that's kind of what, um, what, uh, what's the first song you said? Whiskey Lullaby. Whiskey Lullaby is. I mean, that's a deep, deep song. And then the last one. Drive Your Truck. I Drive Your yeah. Truck. To me, I think those are the two that he would he would have done really good with. The two in the middle, though, I don't really see Dirk's doing that. I wonder if he'd have made a, a duet, Whiskey Lullaby. Yeah. Which was a big deal. And Alice Krause is freaking awesome. Uh, Brad Paisley and Alice Krause had that one. Uh, before the two recorded it, the song sat for three years. Dirk's listened to it but decided to pass on it because he never heard it as a duet mm. via the boot. Chris Stapleton and Jim Beavers, who we've done a podcast with, who's a friend of ours, who, yeah, has, has written a bunch of Raging Idiot stuff with us. Yes, he has. Uh, <laughs> he also wrote. <laughs> he also wrote. A, uh, but he wrote Drink a Beer, Drink a beer. and the song was pitched to Dirk Bentley. He turned down the track, which was big for Luke Bryan. Dirk Bentley almost took uh, Watching Airplanes. The song was written by Jim Beavers. Yeah. And ultimately went to Gary Allen. Gary Allen's probably glad he got it because it's a big hit for him. And Lee Bryce's I Drive Your Truck was another song that almost went to Dirk's. He first revealed during an intimate concert that he almost recorded it himself. So drink a beer when that came out. I remember Luke had a story with that. You know, like his brother had mm-hmm. just passed. So, I mean, there was definitely a story to attach Luke to it. So now I can't even hear drink a beer without even thinking about Luke and his what he was going through at that time. I wonder if these artists, like a Lee Rice, who did I Drive Your Truck, mm-hmm. I wonder if it's like, okay, Dirk, stop saying you passed on it. Like, stop saying that you were <laughs> offered it first because that makes me not seem like I was offered it first. Yeah. I wonder. Because I'm sure Dirks is, Dirks is a big star. The big songs go to him first, and then it trickles down. Yeah, but I think people have to realize that's just the business of it. You know, this happens all the time where someone even cuts it and reserves it and won't let anyone else use it, and then they don't u- end up using it, and then it gets lost for a little bit, and somebody says, hey, whatever happened to that song that's so, it's, oh, it's still there. You can do it now. You know, like there's so many stories like that where I think everyone's just used to that now. Jake Owen was pitched this song. Big Green Tractor, <laughs> which is a Jason Aldean song, yeah. but ended up turning it down. Song was a big hit for Aldean, and then she's got away with words. Here you go. Blake Shelton recorded this one. Jake Owen liked the song, but decided to record it. Didn't didn't record it for a good reason. He goes, I mean, he said that's a really cool song, well written. But if I record this song, I'm taking it literally, and I don't want my ex to perceive that I did that to her. <laughs> it's interesting. Because we all went, oh, he's talking about Miranda Lambert. Yeah. yeah. He, he didn't write it. Again, very fitting. Yeah. At the time. And that's, uh, does that have a lot to do with picking songs these artists? Yes. 
can they also tell a story how it relates to them? Yep. So they're just not going, yeah, I heard it, thought I had a good, good catchy chorus, and I recorded it. Right, which would be the story for most of them. It, but if you do find <laughs> a good catchy chorus, you have to make up some story. Like, first time I heard it, it reminded me of 1997. Right. I was out on this farm, and a donkey came up. Right. <laughs> so you just have to, ha- you have to create something yeah. then. Uh, Frankie Ballard was pitched Hillbilly Bone, which you may know right here. He might be kicking himself on this one, huh? That's a big hit, but I wonder, though, because this is Trace Atkins, Blake Shelton. Yep. I wonder, though, if it, part of this hit was that it was big stars doing it, singing about something a bit trivial. Funny. I, I think if a new artist is doing it, people just go, who is this guy and what is he yeah. singing about a boner for? <laughs> right. A hillbilly I, boner. I think there was some credence with them singing it. Yeah, so possibly. I, uh, Tim McGraw and T-Shirt, which is a Thomas Rhett song. Here you go. Now, Thomas Rhett wrote this song. Yeah. He said Tim McGraw had it on hold for a long time, so he couldn't put it on his first record. Once he let it go, I latched that thing down and put it on my second record. Yeah. Now, this is one where I hear it, and I'm like, nah, Tim couldn't pull this one off. I don't know, man. Tim's able to pull off some, some stuff that you don't think he can. Again, it's one of those things where, like, Tim's older. He's a legend in our eyes. He comes out with a song called T-Shirt, You Were My T-Shirt, like, brought you home from the bar. Guns N' Roses video, we'd be like, Tim, come on. But I like, think his song now does that, his new song. <laughs> Which one? And Keith Urban does that with Pink right now. So, sometimes they do do that. But I just feel like Tim's got some more songs that are more his age appropriate. Now, here's an interesting story. Carrie Underwood chose Jesus Take the Will as her debut single after winning American Idol. But according to Wide Open Country, it was originally pitched to Sarah Evans, who didn't like that stupid song. Wow. That's a quote. Yeah. That's pretty lucky for Underwood, who used it to kickstart her career. Massive song. Yeah. Massive. I can hear Sarah Evans singing this, too. Lady Antebellum, Better Dig 2, which was a Band Perry song. They passed on the upbeat but dark song, which became a huge hit for the Band Perry. They could have done this. Yep, for sure. Props to these bands and artists, man. They've really established a sound for themselves where we can hear a song and say, hey, I can see them doing that. Because it sounds like Lady Antebellum could totally do this song. Jason Aldean almost did Drunk on You. Which is a Luke Bryan song. He liked the song, but he was looking for something different the day he heard it, so he shoved it aside. It was a win for Luke in every possible way. Didn't Luke write that, too? Yep. Luke wrote it and was pitching it out. (laughs) Jason didn't want it, much like the Thomas Tress situation, except Jason didn't lock it down. He was like, okay, if you're not going to record it, I'll record it. Maybe his first hit. Uh, There was the flyover states. That's Jason Aldean. Oh, you're talking about Luke? I'm talking about Luke. And Jason's first hit was uh, not Flyover States. I don't think. We can go back to first hit. Yeah, I would, inter- I'm interested. I would bet. Let me think about this. <laughs> because it's Jason, not. I think um, Big Green Tractor was his first number one. Oh, you think? I yeah, think. You're probably right. Luke's was Do I. Okay. All right, good. That's but, right. That but, sounds right. There's another song that kind of that tempo. What? Do you think if Luke, if uh, if um, Aldine would cut a song like this, though, we may not. We may not have had the Jijin Jijin Aldine. Because, I mean, that's around the time when Aldine did get harder and change his sound a little bit. Before, he was very easy listening <laughs> compared to what he does now. Well, Aldine had a number 10 with Hicktown, but mm-hmm. Y was his first number one. Oh, really? Yeah. Hicktown. And then Amarillo Sky was his third. What was number two? There we go. Flower States. Hit me, Mike. No. <laughs> number two? Yeah. He said was, one and three. Yeah, Hicktown, Y, then Amarillo Sky. 
Oh. Of his first three. Oh, why? They both sucked. Yeah, not very good. We and, didn't make top ten. And I'm in the outing fan club. <laughs> uh, Florida Georgia Line burning it down. When they finished co-writing, burning it down. They knew it was going to be a hit. And this is an Aldine song. Did they both write it? They wrote it, and then it went to somebody else because it wasn't in the timing of them making music for themselves. Yeah, that's probably good. Miranda Lambert in Downtown, which is Lady Annabellum song here. Ooh. Miranda Lambert had dibs on this song. Lambert, quote, very, very selflessly said, let Lady A have it. Wow. So, yeah. Because, again, this can totally sound like a Miranda song. Martina McBride had Independence Day, massive hit. Mm-hmm. Who... What artist do you think could have pulled this off around the same time frame? Trisha? Faith? Faith Hill? Yeah, she could have. The answer I'm looking for is Reba McIntyre. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So Martina McBride caught some flack for the music video of this song, which is a, was a great music video. Um, but Reba McIntyre was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to do this. Um, but she had it and was going to cut it. You, you know, we have to remember these decisions are tough for these artists. Like, they, they probably, how many times do you think they listen to this song before they say, ah, oh, should I do this or should I, shouldn't I? Should or I just... do they just go, that song sucks. Probably. Do they like hear the so many pass? songs? Yeah. 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 I would imagine it's much like when you listen to an album from an artist that is new to you and you kind of like, you're just popping through songs. And there's probably a couple songs you pass over pretty quickly that end up later on. You go back to it. It's like, oh, that's a great song. Why did I go over it so quickly? Yeah. I would think the majority are like that, but there's got to be some that you know have been floating around. Like, so-and-so thought about using it. So-and-so thought about using it. And like, well, there's a reason there's a lot of people listening to this song. Little Big Town almost cut American kids that Kenny Chesney cut. Little Big Town had it on hold. Kenny Chesney, I believe he told this story on this podcast. Shane did, Shane McAnally. He was on a plane with Kenny, and he had a bunch of his songs. And this one, he played this one. And he's like, man, I want that song. He's like, well, you can't. Little Big Town has it. Mm. He called him. He's like, can I have that song? And they were like, yeah. <laughs> the power of Kenny. Yeah, he told us a story about how Kenny found it. Maybe either he played it for him or there was an email situation. Yeah. It was on his computer, and then that was it. If you want to go back and hear that with Shane McAnally, he, uh, episode 45. That dude's amazing. Way back in 2017. So, And now he's on Songland mm-hmm. and has kind of done, done his thing there. All right, there you go. Anything you'd like to say about that? No, it's just great. I mean... Again, great job by all these like A and R people, record labels, and artists to just dis- distinguish themselves because you can definitely hear the sound of an artist in a lot of these songs. That's pretty cool to me. Do you want to do before we go? Uh, Flashback yeah. Friday, nineteen ninety four. Yes, music wise. Yes, nineteen ninety four. Where were you? Ooh, ninety four. I was angry, man. I was in middle school, probably in eighth grade, or maybe freshman year in high school. Real into Pearl Jam. You Pearl, were angry. I was sad. Well, Pearl Jam had just released Vitology. Yeah. Better oh, Man. Yeah, Better Man. Bugs. Not for you. Bugs. Bugs. <laughs> Corduroy. And that was my that was my mantra. Like, this is not for you, man. You just don't understand what we're trying to do. Me and Pearl Jam. Well, me with Nirvana, Stone Temple Pilots, <laughs> Alice in Chains. But you were the lonely side of grunge, huh? Yes, absolutely. Wow. I was like, you guys just don't understand me. Yeah. Well, that was me too, but I was... Pissed. And I'm just going to be quiet and stay to myself. <laughs> Did you have Doc Martens? I couldn't afford them. I never wore them either. Yeah, no, I couldn't afford them. Uh, but the biggest country song, 1994, this day, was Faith Hill, Wild One. She's a wild one with an angel's face. She's a woman, child, in a state of grace. And she was three years old on her daddy's knee. He said you can be anything you want to be. She's a wild one. 
The biggest pop song is Mariah Carey. And there's a hero comes along. Oh, God, so good. And the big news story from this year, 1994, Tanya Harding, at this time, was embroiled in controversy because why? She hired somebody to stab, to to beat uh, Nancy Kerrigan on the leg. Not hired. Right? Well, sort of. Well, I guess nobody really knows. That huh? was the controversy. Her, you know her ex-husband's name? No. Jeff Galuli. Yeah, okay. He orchestrated an attack on Nancy Kerrigan, her U.S. skating rival. Yes. Here's a clip from the footage right after the attack. Can you imagine? She's training and someone comes up and pops her in the leg with yeah. a... At the time, I'm a kid, it's just TV, I make believe. Right. But now as an adult to think about, she's your competition. She's not your only competition. you got people from all over the world competing. She was the main competition, the American competition. Yeah, and so she says she knew nothing about it. But someone goes and clubs her. It's like a, a bookie who yeah. didn't get his money. Yeah, mobster, mobster style, for sure. Pops her in the leg. Yeah. How awful. Oh, this is crazy. Like, if you watched any of the, you watched the movie that came out with Mar with Margot Robbie. Yeah, I saw uh, Tanya. I Tanya. I Tanya. Yeah. Great. It, it was good, huh? Really good movie. Both women then competed in the February 1994 Winter Olympics, where Kerrigan won the silver medal, and Tanya Harding finished eighth. That is straight mobster, huh? Yeah, man. That's like ugly gangster. <laughs> yeah, you're trying to take your competitor out, literally. Yeah, that's that isn't good. Okay, there you go. Uh, coming up. My chit-chat with Dina Carter, who I, I just think is such a wonderful person. And it's 25 years since Strawberry Wine. And that's coming up in just a second. Hey, Dina, how are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Good morning. Hey, are you L.A. or Nashville or California? Like, what, what's the timing of this call? Is it extremely early for you? No, I'm actually, I live near Grayton now. I don't know where Grayton. You know, like in Florida. Oh, in Florida. Like, oh, you're East Coast? Yeah. I'm actually in, well, Central, so I'm the same time as you, but we live down near 30A now, where everybody, Nashville South. <laughs> oh, look at that. Well, you know, I have never been down there. A lot of my friends that are in the music industry kind of go there for their vacation because it's like the closest beach to us. Yeah. And you decided to live down there. Is that just the, the, the greatest place? Oh, my gosh. Well, we've come here, obviously, for decades because, like you said, it's where you come. You either go to Panama City or come down. I remember when Grayton, which houses are now like $10 million, you know, you could get a lot for twenty grand or something. <laughs> when we were broke and waiting tables and going, $20,000. You know, you're talking about waiting tables, Dina. Did you ever uh, bartend before you became a country music star? I did. What was that like for you? Well, honestly, I loved it because I was, studying to be a rehab therapist, rehabilitation therapist for stroke and head injury patients. That's what I got my degree in at UT. And when I would bartend, you know, you have your regulars that would come in. And a lot of the times in the afternoon, you'd have a lot of older people that would come in, usually gentlemen that would come in and just pour their heart out to you, like what's going on in their life. And bartending to me was... Um, it was always more about the relationships, and you knew what everybody's favorite beverage was. You know, they'd walk in, and you could start making it for them. It just made them feel cared for and heard, and 
I know it sounds kind of silly, but it was a coveted job for me because I really loved the people. It wasn't about the booze. I mean, we had a great time, um, obviously, but it was really about getting to spend that time with people and just hear their most intimate feelings about life and what they're going through and um, taking care of them. I loved it. Were you performing at all while you were attending bar? I wasn't. I was just um, in like a sorority. We would do, you know, musical theater things and just whatever we did on campus. And I'd sing here and there, but nothing really pursued at the time. Just kind of meddling around in it and getting my toes in the water. Um, But when I was touring, my first big tour was Alan Jackson and, you know, Strawberry Wine Record and everything, I went back to Toddy's, which was one of the little places I bartended in Knoxville, and I bartended after the gig. We played the <laughs> the arena, and I went back to Toddy's and got behind the bar, and I was, like, working like normal. It was awesome. So you're going to school. You're tending bar with the goal to become, like, a rehab specialist. Was it, was it never in your mind at that point? that country stardom awaited you? I honestly felt like I didn't know it would be in country music for sure, but I knew in my heart that I had some kind of calling and entertainment. And honestly, I thought it was going to be like television or acting or something because I had done a lot of that in high school and in my college years that we did, like I said, do musicals really, but there were some plays that I did that, um, just kind of set the tone. And then when I graduated from college, there was a show that never got picked up, but it was like a Saturday Night Live type thing. It was a local Nashville variety show, comedy show like SNL, and it was called Checkmate. (laughs) And please don't go find it because it's pretty bad. But um, I got cast in that show. So to answer a question, I just felt like it was more going to be like on television more so than in country music and I just wrote songs really about the relationships I was going through at the time and what I was experiencing on this little journey of trying to figure out which path to take and who I was. And that's when the music started taking over. So when was it then for you that you dedicated, because again, it is quite the dedicated thing to do to go, I'm going to be a singer songwriter. I'm going to tour. I'm like, this is going to be my life and I'm going to be broke. Like when was that for you? I had that feeling in college that was a good precursor to the struggling artist thing because I paid my way through school. So, you know, I had to work really hard to pay off my college. I've worked at tanning salons and TCBY and worked pimp service for lawyers and all the parts store on Second Avenue and like anywhere I could get a job. So the struggle for me was real, like just in the real life world of trying to be responsible and not put a financial burden on my family and um, working hard to make sure I was, you know, stepping up and doing my part. And that transferred over into the struggle of like not getting discouraged when people would, I'd wait out in line. I did the bluebird thing where you waited in the snow, you know, for an hour and a half to get in to have an audition to be at the bluebird. And um, I don't know, it's just kind of how God's always mapped it out for me that, you know, one foot in front of the other, the, each step that I've taken has kind of prepared me for the next step. So I've just been trusting of that. And when you quit taking the steps is the problem, you know? 
So. We're going to talk about in a second, and I'm going to get to it here, about the 25th uh, anniversary of Strawberry Wine. But I want to talk a little bit about leading up to that. So you're, you know, doing what most new artists do, and you're playing the songwriter rounds, and you're meeting people. Was there anyone, I'll call it in your class, that was coming up the same time you were, and you guys hadn't hit it yet, but you look back and go, yeah, I knew so-and-so when they were just a songwriter before they had a hit or two? Oh, yes, for sure, Kenny Chesney. I met him at uh, Tom Collins Music on 16th when we were, it's where the, like, the big white word music building is now, but there was an old antebellum house there on that corner, and it had a, a very small parking lot in the back, and so we would all just park in there and put your keys in a basket so that if you had to move a car or whatever, it's no big deal. And... <laughs> And he was blocking me in, and I was like, who's driving the... I can't even remember what car it was, but I had a white Honda, and I'm like, I need somebody to move. So he said, oh, it's me. Sorry, I'm Kenny, blah, blah. And he moved his car, and I moved out. We were just baby songwriters. This was probably 91 or 2, somewhere in there. Um, So he was one. And Myla Mason, she came out in the 90s. She was, uh, we were in a little band together before we each, like the band, dismembered and went our own ways. So I knew Myla. I'm trying to think who else. Um, you know, Jay Joyce, who's the producer extraordinaire now, he and I worked together um, and did a whole bunch of songs and he played with me. We had this band. Uh, that we'd go play Asa Clubs and uh, 12th and Porter and all these cool places. And he and I were writing and producing these alternative songs. You know, I was trying to be like Alanis Morissette with sort of a Southern twist to her. And um, so I've known Jay for eons and eons. Um, and just Doug Lancio was with us in that deal. Kelly Looney played with us. It was just a great little community. Uh, Hello, Grimy. I've known Mike Grimy. He was in that group. All of us running around together, you know. So it wasn't just the artists. It was the community that I came up in that now everybody's having a lot of of success. And it's so awesome to see. It's wonderful. At what stage, while you were kind of cutting your teeth, did you hear Strawberry Wine? It was. I had done a full record with Jimmy Bowen. A full, did I shave my legs for this album? And we had, um, I mean, it was a full deal. It was more orchestrated. It was very lush. And he brought in David Campbell to do all the strings for the album. And he's Beck's dad. It's such a cool little recollection of all this. Thank you for taking the time. (laughs) But Bowen asked me, he said, how many strings? He was on the phone with David Campbell, and he said, how many strings do you want on this record? And he's looking at me, and I said, "Um, like all of them? (laughs) And so they brought the whole National Symphony in, and they had a big laugh about that. And uh, we sat at Emerald Sound and and did did I shave my legs for this record? And I asked if I could go overseas and tour first because I didn't, I knew being from Nashville, it could be brutal. And I just wanted to have like, a total clean slate and get all the kinks out and, and uh, work my live show and all that. So they said yes. And I flew over to London, mastered the record and did a full tour with um, Jimmy Nail, who's an actor. Um, 
with a British band. I had my guitar and that was it. I flew in and had a British tour manager and, you know, whole, all Brits in my band. It was awesome. Flew back. Bowen had been fired and uh, we were in limbo for a little while, the label. So we were going to, Scott Hendricks took over. We re recorded half of that record that I co produced with Bowen. And um, we brought in Chris Farron to help finish some new songs. And that's when I brought in Strawberry Wine and we danced anyway. Wow, they came at the very, very end of a recut. Yeah. So we kept the first half of Shave that I did with Bowen, and we just remixed it. Steve Marcantonio was engineer. We came in and added a few things, but we kept the strings and stuff. That was Count Me In. Um, I could go through the list, but it was, once it was I've Loved Enough to Know, Count Me In, Shave, um, That's How You Know It's Love. And there was one other one. I can't remember right now, but um, Oh, Love Ain't Worth Making. That was an original. We brought in Farron and finished the last half, and I co-produced all of that, and that's when girls didn't get credit. Um, but I worked hard on it, and he, we all did. It was a team effort to get that record out, and after about five years, it finally saw the light of day as we know it now. That whole process was five years long? Uh, roughly, I think I was signed originally in '93, two or three. So I was a development artist for two or three years, and then it was record, go tour, come back, re-record, then release. So yeah, it was a long, long road. The first single, and I, I was like, the first single was Strawberry Wine, right? We're gonna, yes, the first single was slated to be "I've Loved Enough to Know." And we had done the whole video and everything for it. And I got a, I was doing Strawberry Wine on my guitar and all the radio touring we were doing, you know, promo. And the, the phones were lighting up back then. Everybody was calling in like, what is that song? We want to hear that again. And um, I guess the regionals started calling the label and saying that, the you know fans were responding to strawberry wine more than i've loved enough to know so they changed the single and time for a new release did a new video and everything like because the people were screaming for strawberry wine and they listened and they they did it scott Hendricks did a great job of turning all that around when was it for you that you realized this was going to be not just a hit because that's a that's a building process but just a massive <laughs> song that pretty much everybody knew like was there a moment where you're like uh-oh this thing's a lot bigger than i had than i had expected it <laughs> well the thing about that it was yes i would say the arenas that was when it was really hitting home and alan jackson was such a sweetheart to take us out for two years we were out with him pretty much started. and that made a big impact on the exposure um the video was big deal with cmt and everything and um doing a lot of television my management at the time I was one of the first artists to do Letterman numerous times in Leno and all the morning shows and all these things because there weren't a lot of country artists period but much less a new artist that was given those opportunities so with sort of the stars aligned up across the board and just the most awareness it was unbelievable when the lighters started going up to these arenas that's when I was like what and and they weren't just singing Strawberry Wine they were singing the record like because, you know, we'd say Strawberry Wine till the end. And they would 
when we'd come out, they were singing the whole thing, like every song that wasn't a single yet. <laughs> and that was just like, what in the world is happening? But I still to this day never dreamed, and I'll be honest, that it would have the longevity that it's had and just, you know, it's in recurrent radio and it's like become this country. It's like the free, the stairway to heaven or free birders. It's like this anthem for country music that I still am blown away that I got to participate in and be a part of because I know that that is a very hard thing to do. And, you know, it took a, a village to make it happen and just such talent. The writers, Matrice Berg and Gary Harrison were so talented and um, they told my story. They told the world's story, and I was just honored to be able to put my spin on it and put my heart behind it because I lived it, too. It's got to be pretty cool that even today's young superstars are still singing it. For example, Sam Hunt came in a few weeks ago, and it was like, hey, you can cover whatever you want, and he sang Strawberry Wine. Like That's got to be pretty cool to see it continuing yeah. to inspire folks. It is amazing, and I, I do not take it for granted. I'm so thankful for that, and all the YouTube videos, you know, all the sweet people and talented people that are out there putting it on their platforms and things, too, and, you know, Kid Rock is like, it was his favorite makeout song or whatever, and um, Vanilla Ice, and like all of these people that I've met in my life that cross genres that know the song, and, uh, you know, it's just been such a gift i'm so grateful you mentioned kenny chesney earlier about someone you knew when you guys were both starting out but really one of my favorite country songs in the past you know 15 years is you and tequila from kenny and grace potter which you wrote that song so when you wrote yeah. when you wrote that were you writing it for kenny or for another artist or for yourself well i wrote that with Miss Teresa, and i showed up at her house one day and she had been out. She said that she'd been out at the wake for uh, Harlan Howard because he had passed away and they had been drinking and um, had tequila and she was moving a little slow. And I'm like, there to write for my record, which was my first record for Arista. So it would have been two records after Strawberry Wine albums. And we were writing it in 2002 for me for I'm Just a Girl for that album. And so my version is on iTunes on that album. Um, but I got to go out on the road with Kenny and Keith and sing You and Tequila every night. So they would come out and watch that one song and then go get ready for their shows. And, you know, I, a lot of the inspiration was me living in California at the time, the, the lyrics and it's got like this Tracy Chapman kind of droney guitar part in the beginning. And it's just really about not being able to shake someone and you're in this beautiful environment. It's still really, you're still affected by the person. Just like truthfully, tequila stays in my blood like for three days. It's like a drug. <laughs> so I try to avoid it if I can. <laughs> but, um, so we just put a lot of truth in that, and we're doing it for my record, not thinking a whole lot of it. And uh, my record didn't do a whole lot, and but Kenny took it and made it this great, amazing hit. And he told me that it was, you know, he was going through a breakup at the time, and it just he would play that song over and over, driving up and down Mulholland in Malibu, 
and um, it meant a lot to me. Uh, Matresa had done a male version of it for demo, and he had heard it, and he's like, man, this just makes sense. So he recorded it. Did you think, Kenny, why don't you call me to be the, the other voice? You know, you, you got Grace Potter. Why wouldn't you call your well, friend? I, <laughs> I did tell him it needs to be a duet, and I was kind of waiting for the invite. <laughs> but I understand because Grace is amazing, and look, they, you know, they have to pull it together with other genres and branch out, and, you know, she was happening, and um, it worked out. I'm not upset about that. I think that the duet part I did suggest, but it's okay because it worked out. I'm just happy again to be a part of. And then Matrice and I got to go back to the Grammys, the CMAs, the APMs, the AMAs, like all of these honors a decade after the first record. It was 10 years, almost. It was like eight or nine years. And, um, it was we got an NSAI award for that for songs that you know they wish they'd written the community like that was to me like an Oscar coming from the Nashville community it means so much to me so yeah yeah that's pretty cool the you know you talk about awards do you remember you win the CMA for single of the year and you know they call your name you're the winner you go up on stage do you remember that or did you kind of blur out at all no, I remember it vividly the first time. I really screwed up on the acceptance speech. Those are the things where I, you get blurry and you forget who to thank. And like, if you could have the do over, that's what I would. I have wished that so many times that I could go back and be more thankful verbally and eloquent and all that. And I was just trying, I was nervous and trying to crack jokes and so embarrassing. <laughs> but, um, I was on the side of the stage talking to Trisha Yearwood, I think, because I had just performed and I was on the side. We got to perform a couple of times on that show. And um, I'd been talking to Richie Skaggs about us going to the same elementary school. He was a little bit older than me. And he had Mr. Marion in fifth grade, and I had Ms. Atkins, and I always told Mr. Marion. We were having, like, this whole conversation about these teachers in our school. And... They were nudging him like it's time to go announce this award. So he said, "Oh gosh, I'll be, I'll, we'll finish this when I get back." So he went out there and opened the envelope, and that's when he said, "The pride of Goodlettsville," because we'd been talking about it. And I ran out and was doing my goofball little cheerleading jumps. I was just like <laughs> so excited. I couldn't believe it. And that jump on him was our bond because we've been talking about it backstage. So that's what people didn't see. Well, it's so great to talk to you. Just such sustained success, not only as an artist, but a songwriter. And, and listen, you're moving all over the continental United States. Can't even keep track of you. <laughs> but it is it's really well, good to talk to you, as always. Thank you. I'm so excited. And look, this is our 25th year. We're going to do some cool things for We have some irons in the fire for the first album for this year to just be thankful to the fans and do something fun. So we're, we're going to try to make that happen in the midst. You know, we talked about it before the world went crazy. So we'll see how we can pull it all together. But um, I'm very thankful to Capital slash Universal slash whatever for um, 
still loving on me and supporting me in that way and, and the fans too. And so look for it this year. And I'm just, I'm happy for you for your engagement. I see you online. I'm so proud of you and happy for you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. If you go, listen, I hope you go. And once we are able to play shows again and people can get on the road, like, I don't know if, because a lot of the artists that have had great records, like sometimes they'll just go out and play the whole record. I mean, you have three number ones on, did I shave my legs for this? I mean, and probably five of them yeah. I could sing every word back to right this second. So are you guys considering <laughs> that, like just playing the record a few times as a, okay, 25 years, here's the celebration? Yes. And, you know, I did that one time on the road. We'd been off the road for a little bit. I went back out, and we just did the the record from song one to the end, like in order, in sequential order. And the people went bananas because that's how they remember it. And for me... It's like nobody cares about the other records anyway. I've had like nine records out. <laughs> Who cares? Like, well, you get to play your other songs that you've written, though, because that's also cool to go, hey, I wrote this. Uh, and, but anyway, I think you're fantastic. I love you yeah. as an artist and a songwriter and a person. So whenever you're ready and you guys get a plan to what you want to do and you want to publicize it, just let me know. I'm happy to, to help you out. Thank you, Bobby. I appreciate it. And listen, I want to thank you for always being so kind so welcoming, so gracious. You always hug me. When I see you at events and things. You go out of your way to come and be kind. And it's your your whole audience. I know that they know how awesome you are, but they need to know that that's you know off the mic as well because you're a stand up guy. And I'm I'm just so happy for your success because wow. you deserve it and you've meant a lot to me. And I thank you. Now I feel awkward, but that's very kind of you. I don't do well with compliments, but I'm, <laughs> so I'm going to end it there. Dina, great to talk to you. I can't wait to see your face again, and I'll see you soon, okay? Thank you. All right, bye, All right, Dina. Bobby, be well. Bye-bye. You guys, by the way, go to her merch. Go get merch. All you have to do is go to dina.com slash store, D-E-A-N-A dot com slash store, and go get merch. Help, help, help an artist out. Buy some of that merch, right, Dina? Get it out of my garage. Get it out of her garage. That's right. All right. Bye, Dina. <laughs> bye. Thanks. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort. With little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. You can probably spell it. You probably know it. Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines. Plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines. All on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.